1: Once again, I am reminded that the chapter divisions in the Bible are late editions and not inspired, and that is clearly evident here. Paul is in the middle of one of the most dramatic stories in all the Bible, so this chapter division here, right in the middle of it, is definitely ill-considered. But it is what it is, and it is where it is, so we need to pick up the story at verse 1. Paul says, Then, after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Let's just pause here. After 14 years here refers to 14 years after his conversion. That's where Paul started the story. So that's roughly three years in and around Damascus, plus roughly 10 years in and around Tarsus in Cilicia. After that amount of time, Paul went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, also accompanied by his young assistant Titus. This, in all likelihood, corresponds to the visit referred to in Acts eleven twenty-seven to thirty. In Acts eleven twenty-five, we learn that after preaching in and around Tarsus for the better part of a decade, Paul was brought to Antioch by Barnabas to serve as a sort of teaching pastor or apostle in residence. Then in Acts 11.27, a prophet named Agabus shared a revelation that there would be a famine in the Roman world that would hit the region of Judea particularly hard, and therefore an offering was dispatched to Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. That seems to be what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 2. Listen to verse 2. I went up because of a revelation, and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So while Paul was there delivering the relief money, he had a private visit with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He says that he did this to make sure that he was not running in vain. Now that comment has been taken in a variety of ways by Bible scholars. Some say that this proves that Paul was having some doubts as to whether or not his gospel was, in in fact, the correct gospel. And so he went to the apostles for validation. But that would be to have Paul undercutting his own argument. His argument is that his gospel came by revelation from Christ and has always been in perfect conformity with the gospel preached by the other apostles. So, no, that cannot be what he means by that comment. D.A. Carson says helpfully here, what Paul means is something quite different. The Galatians have been invaded by agitators from the outside. Men who have presented themselves as being authorized by Jerusalem as somehow supported by the regular apostles. The book of Acts supplies evidence that Paul was sometimes dogged by such people. So he goes to Jerusalem not to have his gospel validated or recast, but to ensure there are no misrepresentations among the Jewish leaders, the Jerusalem leaders, as to what he is preaching and to encourage those leaders to disassociate themselves entirely from the false brothers who are unfairly appealing to Jerusalem to damage Paul and his ministry among the Gentiles. Closed quote. I think that's exactly right. Paul is saying that He took this opportunity of his being in Jerusalem to confer with the Jerusalem leaders to make sure that they knew the truth about his preaching so that they could collectively censure and marginalize those who were acting spuriously under their name and authority and threatening to undo the progress of the gospel in Paul's missionary territory. And that's exactly what they do. They extend to Paul the right hand of fellowship, as we'll hear about in just a minute. But before we hear about that, we need to read verse 3, which says, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. As I mentioned, Paul took along his young assistant, Titus, who was a Greek. This is no incidental detail. Paul took Titus as a living test case. Would the apostles have the courage of their convictions? It's one thing to say that you believe in this new humanity in Christ. It's one thing to say that anyone who has the Spirit is a real, full-fledged member of the New Covenant community. It's another thing to eat with a young Gentile convert when all your fancy Jewish friends are watching on. So that's the task that Paul contrives. And he's very happy to report that nobody raised an eyebrow. Titus was not forced by the apostles in Jerusalem to be circumcised though he was a Greek, they accepted him as a brother on the basis of his profession of faith in Jesus Christ, period. As I said, that is not an incidental detail. The story continues in verse four. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, So here Paul says that his second visit to Jerusalem was a roaring success. He met with all the bigwigs, the pillars of the church, as it were, James and Peter and John, and, and they happily confirmed that they were all preaching the same gospel. Stop right there and hear that. In liberal seminaries and universities, it is frequently taught that Paul and James did not see eye to eye in the gospel, and that in fact their letters are veiled attacks upon each other. Now, I know that because I went to a very liberal university and took classics and religious studies, and I was told that very thing, and I got myself into a little bit of hot water by insisting that this viewpoint, though popular with the academic elite, was directly at odds with the clear testimony of the scriptures themselves. The Bible knows of no conflict between Paul and James. They may have had to combat different errors within their various constituencies, but they were preaching the same gospel. Paul says that right here in the text. They gave Paul the right hand of fellowship and they thereby excluded the false brothers who were opposing Paul in Galatia. Now, before we move on to the next episode in this incredible story, let's just notice the last thing that is said at this important meeting in Jerusalem. Look again at verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That's Absolutely fascinating. After making sure that they were all on the same page theologically and after taking steps to isolate and marginalize these false teachers, the very next thing they did was ensure that ministry to the poor remained a top priority, something Paul was already very eager to do. Pause and hear that. So often we treat these issues as if they're mutually exclusive. So often we give ourselves liberty to be passionate about one at the expense of the other. How rare it is today to meet a minister of the gospel who is jointly concerned to defend orthodoxy and care for the poor. And how common it is, sadly, to find pastors who seem capable or interested only in maintaining an investment in one and not the other. I love what Martin Luther says here. He says, After the preaching of the gospel, the office and charge of a true and faithful pastor is to be mindful of the poor. Amen. I speak to myself and all my brother pastors and say this. Let us insist that we maintain this dual and properly ordered set of passions and priorities. Let us never give ourselves leave to pursue orthodoxy at the expense of charity and let us likewise never permit ourselves to administer charity at the expense of the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. I love how John Piper puts it, he says, let us care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. That sounds very similar to what Luther is saying. But more importantly, it sounds faithful to what the apostles are agreeing on here. Let's get the gospel right. Let's proclaim it. Let's defend it. And then right after that, in terms of priority, let us always and ever be mindful of of the poor. Oh, God, make it so. We carry on with the story in verse 11. Paul says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. All right, so let's stop there. If you have your second Bible open to Acts, then you want to be looking at Acts 14, 28 to 15, verse 2. This is the incident that occasioned the letter we're reading and the subsequent Jerusalem council in Acts 15. Peter has come to Antioch. We don't know exactly why, but we know that Peter traveled around as an emissary of the church in Jerusalem. So he's making the rounds and he's at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have recently returned from their first missionary journey, the one where they planted a bunch of churches in the province of Galatia. Now, maybe Peter came down to hear about the work. We don't know. What we know is that while he was there, Peter ate and enjoyed table fellowship with the many Gentile converts in the church at Antioch until these brothers showed up claiming to be from James. And then he began to draw back. He began to sit at the kosher table fearing the circumcision party. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Pause and hear that. Paul isn't saying that Peter became a heretic. Peter still believes the gospel. He's just acting in a way that obscures the gospel and is exerting an influence that is detracting from the gospel. That's why Paul charges him with hypocrisy and not heresy. Christian history would be very different if Paul had charged Peter with heresy, but he doesn't. He charges him with hypocrisy. He charges him with not having the courage of his convictions. He charges him with acting in a manner inconsistent with the gospel. And Paul understood immediately how devastating that could be for the cause of Christ. Verse 14 says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Are you hearing that? The issue was not Peter's doctrine per se. It wasn't that Peter had lost the gospel. The issue was that Peter's lifestyle choices, recently adopted, served to obscure the gospel. He was not acting in step with the gospel. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, Christian living is therefore a continual realignment process, one of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. Closed quote. That was the issue. During Paul's second visit to Jerusalem, they had agreed on the content of the gospel. But but now here we're dealing with the issue of the implications of the gospel. And Peter is having trouble acting in accordance with his own convictions. And so Paul reminds him that, in fact, he could deny the gospel he preached by the way he was living and walking. That is a particularly poignant reminder In our day and age, Paul goes on to say to Peter, verse 15, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All right, we're we're into the deep waters here theologically. This this is the climax of Paul's speech and it begins to introduce the central issue of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're dealing here with the Christian doctrine of justification. We probably need to begin by defining that term. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, "To justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty." but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity, closed quote. To be justified, then, means to have no barrier... To fellowship with God. That's what we want. We want to get back with God as sons and daughters as once we were in peace, enjoying his presence and his blessings forever. That's the goal. So Paul is speaking to Peter here and he's saying, Peter, we may not be Gentile sinners, okay? But by seeking justification with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we acknowledged that the law couldn't save The law couldn't justify us. If the law could have solved our problem, then we would not have turned to Christ, Peter. But we did, because it couldn't. No one has ever been justified by the law. He goes on to say in verse 17, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, if you find verses 17 to 19 hard to understand, you're in very good company. They're generally considered the trickiest verses to translate and make sense of in the whole letter. Basically, Paul is trying to answer a common accusation leveled against those who preach the free grace of God in Christ. When you preach that a person is justified by faith in Christ, there are always going to be people who think that you are somehow thereby promoting unrighteousness, as if the only reason to obey God was to earn salvation. Paul says, no, no, I'm justified by faith alone. I'm dead to the whole stairway to heaven nonsense. But that doesn't mean that I'm giving myself to wickedness. No, a a person who does that shows they were never saved to begin with. A real Christian wants to obey the Lord, wants to live in a loving and upright way. But they do it now, not in order to earn something, but in order to show something. They do it now in order to show love and gratitude to the Lord. Paul goes on in verse 20 to say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Verse 20 is a restatement of verse 14. Paul is saying that our lives have to be aligned with the truth of the gospel. You have to live like you're dead to the law as a means of justification. So stop trying to earn what you could never earn. Stop responding to the motivation of guilt and fear and start living out of love and gratitude and spirit. These are radically different ways of life, Paul says, and they simply do not and cannot go together. If you try to earn salvation by attending to things like dietary laws and circumcision, then you're basically saying that Jesus died for nothing. Because if you could earn it, then why did he die to secure it? Friend, you've got to live like you believe in the gospel. Live free. Live in the spirit. Live in love. That's Paul's rebuke to the Apostle Peter. And that's Paul's message to each one of us today. Thanks be to God.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.